Welcome to Essential Dynamics. I'm Derek Hudson. I'm the host of the Essential Dynamics podcast. Excited to be here with my colleagues from Unconstrained, Anne McTaggart and Glenn Vanstone. Anne and Glenn, good to see you again. Morning, Derek. Good morning, Derek. Good morning, Anne. It's uh, nice to be back. Thanks. It's good to be together. So the Essential Dynamics podcast brought to you by Unconstrained explores the concepts of essential dynamics, a thinking framework we've been working on that helps us uh, think through interesting challenges and tricky opportunities. And in the podcast, we like to explore these concepts through deep conversations with interesting people. And so let's just jump into it today. This is the third episode of season four. In season four, we're trying to get more focused on support to business leaders and giving them um, information that they can use to uh, run their businesses better. And um, came up with the list. I started with um, the top five business traditions that have to stop now. Um, but I didn't stop at five, and I think I got up to about 13. And today I want to just talk about the first one, um, which is the problem that organizations have when they set up uh, divisions or business units uh, which immediately then become siloed from the rest of the organization. Uh, I think we've all lived it. Um, I want to maybe start with a uh, problem, maybe not, maybe not definition, but description anyway, of uh, situations that we've been in or we've seen uh, where we, we do this to ourselves. So maybe, maybe Glenn, you could, uh, you could start out with uh, your reaction to the topic. Oh, thanks, Derek. Uh, sure. I'm happy to start. Uh, well, first thing that pops into my head is the notion that um, organizations crave organizing. You know, they, people, when they get into a group, they, they have this natural tendency to attach labels. And we use that to identify activities into groups, etc. It's a, it, it's kind of a natural thing. But the the idea of organizations getting kind of over overthinking their organizing functionality um, it's it's not only is it way too much sometimes or too conventional uh, but it also is the whole idea of artificially creating silos around functions it's a form of management not a form of anything else. It's how we how we manage people. Is well, we well, put them into groups. Let, let me let me jump in there, Glenn. It's I think it's how we manage complexity. And our tendency to looking at something complex is we're gonna we're gonna break it into pieces, and then it's gonna be somehow easier to manage or understand. And the problem is that if you have a system that relies on all the parts, as soon as you take the parts apart. Uh, then you don't have a system. So I got to go to Anne here for more comment, but I think we're going to have lots to talk about today. Yes, thank you. Um, when you, I love your comment, uh, organizations crave organizing, but I think that it kind of goes even further back. Think about when you were in school or you were learning, if you were in a in a business program, they have whole programs on how to organize the organization. Um, the HR discipline of categorizing and competency development and 
um, leveling and organizing is more in, in organizations is more of the, more of the same. But I think that you know we learn or we we're learning what we believe at the time about best practices is how you set organizations up to run well. Um, but then you get out into the business world and they everybody's doing the same thing they're organizing um groups into business units or or um sub teams or whatever and i think the intent of that is to create efficiencies but i don't think we realize in those intent to create efficiencies that you're just there's there's a cost and benefit of doing that there are efficiencies in the team building of those smaller teams and units, but there's so much lost and nobody notices how much is lost by building walls between divisions and competition between divisions because no one's working towards the greater good or the purpose of the organization because they're working to the purpose of their department or their division. Well, yeah, we, we create so these little there. tribes, right? We have these, you know, within organizations, we... we put people into smaller functional groups and, and kind of foster this sense of tribal uh, uh, communal effort within organizations. And what's hilarious about all that, from my perspective, is we, we put people into groups and categories and labels and these little tribes or whatever it is, uh, because they're, they're like in some fashion or they have the same sort of a function. And then once all that is built, uh, we turn around and say, geez, let's put a whole bunch of time and energy uh, telling them not to behave that way and start to be more cross-functional. Yeah. <laughs> so we put a lot of energy to organize everything, and then we turn around and say, geez, everybody should work together more. So one of the things I wanted to do with these this next series of podcasts is, is to call out these ideas and um, stomp them down a little bit because I think we're we're too – uh, it, we're too lazy um, in challenging these these norms, and so one of the things that I, I want us to be able to do is to attack ideas. Ideas. This is this is my thinking. Ideas don't have any rights. They don't have any feelings. They either they stand up based on truth and efficacy, or they fall down. And this idea that we can divide an organization up into pieces, in, in my mind, is a fallacy, and it's not challenged enough. Um, so I just want to put that out there that if your feelings are hurt, uh, maybe it's because you identify this idea, but the idea can't stand on its own. I don't, I don't think. Um, here's, a, here's an experience that I had. I was um, in a meeting in an organization that was uh, divided into functions like sales, engineering, operations, and, and admin. And a bunch of stuff wasn't going well. And so somebody was up on the whiteboard and we were sketching out all of the problems. I remember where I was sitting, all of a sudden the light goes on and I'm like, every problem that we have that we've been talking about is in the white space. It's in the, it's nobody's responsibility. It's in the connection between the units. It's not inside the units. The units are fine inside, but every time something has to go from one to the other, it's not working. And the thing is we can't add any value to a customer without the stuff flowing through all of those pieces. And so we're deleting ourselves if we say, well, you know, operations has it, right? It's obviously not an operations problem because nobody cares. 
I think it, uh, we've probably all been in those kind of meetings. Um, I think I look back on my experience, similar, I didn't, you know, ha have the epiphany uh, that you did, but I always caught, um, boiled it down to, it's a communication problem. But what you've said here today, it, it's more than a communication problem. It's an accountability problem. And so accountability to where does my business unit or division or team or role fit in the delivery of that customer value? Nobody thinks about that. So we're all good as long as our metrics are met in our little silo that we're in. So we're good to go. Don't look at us. It's that guy. Well, one of the things that happens, of course, is is that tribal nature of, of, of silos and organizational structures kind of reinforce that uh, us versus them mentality, even though it's all one, one organization, one team. But but we do things because people think that we do things and we do them well because we create real value. And so they conflate their their value creation thing, and they don't necessarily understand what another group's value creation is and how it fits. So it's very difficult to connect those, those two together when yeah. you're sitting within that silo. So yes, we've all been in those rooms where everybody looks at all this stuff and says, yeah, well, we do things well, we create value, and I can't speak for everybody else. So the uncertainty rests with the other guys. <laughs> so, and then, you know, somebody's in there like Derek, you're saying is, you know, trying to fill the white space in between with meaning in, and how does that all work? But I'll tell you one other thing is, is anytime there's an organization that has these structures and has, you know, reporting lines and all of that, that stuff into it, uh, people will say, well, that's our organization. What they don't necessarily realize, or maybe some of them intuitively do, is that every organization actually has two. There is the structural organization of labels and categories and everything, and then what I call the shadow org chart. And shadow org chart is how things actually get done. Because I bet you we've all been in organizations or familiar with organizations that would be able to say that this person is a node, that person is a node, that person is a node, and all real things that happen in the organization of importance in some way, shape, or form flow through those people. And they may be in different in org charts or pieces or functions or whatever it is, but they're actually the important nodes by which all of this white space, if you will, Derek, actually gets done. And often, I bet you there isn't a, a many uh, silo leaders who are in a position to be actually named that uh, or point out that particular shadow org chart. But everybody within those buckets and those silos knows exactly how things get done and who's involved and who has to be, you know, connected. That's the shadow org that exists underneath every formal and official org chart. Uh, let me pick up on some Anne said and then something Glenn said. So, Anne, you talked about accountability. 
And remember, we had Kristen Cox on um, a couple of years ago for for three great episodes, and she talks about the seductive seven, uh, which are things that we think are going to help the organization, and we delude ourselves into making progress, or th- that we're making progress by these things. And one of them was accountability. More accountability is going to fix the organization. But but she always um, appends that accountability, and then in brackets, blaming. And so we like accountability because then we can blame. And if we can blame somebody else, then we're off the hook. And so our, you know, we're clean. And if you think about an integrated process, it's, it's all the pieces of the system that have to function together. And um, I'm way more interested in collective efforts towards results than, you know, apportioning blame. If it, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. If, if we, if we're able to work things through, We'll all take the credit because everyone does contribute. Um, so that's one thing. And then Glenn, on the shadow organization, um, the way I think about it is org charts really good for two things. Uh, one is approving vacation time. And the other is if you absolutely have to do it, I'm not a huge fan, but if you have to do it, you can do your annual performance review. Um, but other than that, they're nothing. And, and as a consultant, I don't know how many times I've asked someone, you know, tell me about your organization. And they slide the org chart across the table and like that, as if that explains something. So, so in an organization that works, natural selection will tell you that there must be doing something right if we're still living and breathing. And so Glenn, you referred to it as a shadow organization. Um, another way to look at it is, the way a company, an organization adds value is either in a kind of repetitive system, which we could say is like manufacturing, um, or it's in a project-based environment. And um, manufacturing has steps. They come from, you know, every which way. They're processed in a, in a particular order. And that that's the value chain. That's how stuff gets done. And in a project organization, Every operation, every um, project's a little bit different, and so you don't have the same people. You don't have repeatable processes, but you still grab parts from all all different parts of the organization, and you do something that creates value. One of the ways that I really like kind of imagining how this works is when I watch a movie, and then you watch the credits at the end. Um, and the credits, you know, and and it'll be like. Um, it'll be like production accountant and uh, assistant to Mr. So-and-so or costume designer for Ms. So-and-so. Um, and when it goes on and on and on, you realize how many different functions were involved and we don't really care. They don't, they don't send the org chart. They put the names and then you get the product of the movie that you get to see. Um, and I just, I guess I'm going to ask you both a question. Why do we fight to hang on to the org chart? And why do some popular um, business management techniques, number one, take you to uh, let's divide up the organization and into functions? Why is it so persistent? Uh, and you go first. Well, I'm going to have the rhetorical question to the question. Um, why is Why is it so persistent? I think because it's ingrained. And I also think that there, it's ingrained. So we do what we do because we do what we do. 
And there is, there hasn't been a disruptor um, to, you know, we're still doing okay. We're still doing the best we can do. We're still in existence. So we just keep doing that. So nothing has made us do a, a pivot to do something completely different. The other thing is, I don't think that the people that are working in the business ever have the opportunity to work on the business so they can see the problems with white space void, if you want to call it that. And so until somebody points out that the business is, or the leader can see that the business or the creation of value in the business, it's one system. I don't know that you can see that the white space void exists or that there's this competition and it's not efficient moving in, even in a project organization from, from this function to this function to this function as the project progresses and finalizes for delivery. Uh, there's lots there, but Glenn, jump in. Uh, yeah, uh, ripping that. Why does it why does it stick? Uh, one is because we've got a very long history of organizational success stories that have replicated that model of labeling and organizing people into groups, uh, and entire management careers that have been formed and successful of people managing that group or tribe uh, mentality. So there's the value creation that is allows the us versus them, which reinforces that I create value every day and it's with uh, what I do and the functions I perform and uh, to the benefit of my tribe, my group. Uh, and then I have the leader who is uh, reinforcing that uh, because they've been built in that same management style of um, functional excellence is of uh, their contribution. So you have that. But I think about, you know, what happened with the pandemic. Remember, first we had groups that were co-located, but they were more or less often physically separated from the other silos within organizations, right? Um, so we had that, and then the, they, they were separated from each other because uh, we had to separate, right? We, we created that, um, uh, the tribal thing was broken up and people got sent away. And that was really difficult on management because managers had to learn to uh, manage uh, people's contribution where they have been historically aligned to managing people in the workspace. So I think that natural tendency of managing people in the workspace as part of that co-location and that tribalism uh, success criteria. So pandemic tore all that up and said, no, we need to learn how to manage people's contributions, not their, their presence, if you will. Uh, and so we started to break up that tribalism, you know, that sense of us versus them, because we were now asking people to contribute value in a different way. And here we still have now this gravity pull of coming back to the same kind of management mentality structure of, hey, it's time to get back to the office, time to get back 
going to do because that's what we've known. That's what we understand. That's our common frame of reference. So the gravity pull to come back to tribal performance is very strong. <laughs> it's really per- pervasive. Uh, and it's always thrown back to say, because that's what the customers want in some way of, yeah. of creating that argument. So it's a, there's a lot of gravity around that tendency. So, so both of you referred to the inertia of this is the way we've always done it. Um, you haven't referred to it, but uh, part of uh, the modern organization came from the military. <clears throat> and um, so there's that. Uh, and particularly a related concept, and you talk about, well, if you can't see the whole system, then um, you can't manage by it, so you manage by the piece that you can see. And then, Glenn, you added to that, well, we used to um, uh, put everyone in the same room or the same part of the building that had the same function, so that reinforced the separation from the other ones. So I uh, had a client uh, a number of years ago that um, occupied a large campus um, with a lot of parking in between. And um, it would take 10 minutes to walk across from one building to another. Uh, Of course, we have cold winters sometimes. And um, the silo walls were very high, despite the fact that you could phone, you could have a meeting, you could walk across. But once they got in that building, that became the world. so I, th- I think there's uh, there's a lot of things that reinforce that. I just want to add one other, and then we're going to have to pick this conversation up in our, in our next meeting. The other one I want to add is that there is something uh, that reinforces the value of this to the middle manager or even to the vice president. Like if you can be in charge of something where you have a chart and there's people and they report to you, and you can be the boss and you can build the empire. Uh, there's something to that. And and so as soon as you set somebody up, then you're taking something away if you if you take it down or diminish it. And um, so I think there's that that's one of the forces that resists this change that Anna's saying is well, we need some kind of a shock. And it wasn't COVID wasn't enough of a shock. Glenn, you're saying it it did force you to focus on contribution because you couldn't supervise the presence. Uh, I was talking to my son-in-law. He, uh, he works at Suncor and since October uh, new with their new CEO, they've been hundred percent back in the building. Um, and, and you wonder, is that to supervise the presence again? Because at some point they weren't doing that. Uh, so I think we've, what we've come to is that for legitimate reasons, we break our problems into pieces um, because it's overwhelming to think of the big problem. Um, and then when we break them into pieces, there's all kinds of reasons why they stay separate and why that, that tribal um, tendency gets, uh, gets in the way of the work. And so we have these voids or white spaces in between or the interfaces between the groups where all the problems are and nobody's working on them. Um, and despite that, the work gets done. So there are process flows, there are projects that get done, but we don't formally manage by them. Uh, and then spend all our time um, rearranging what the, where the boxes are uh, instead of really understanding the system of the process. So uh, final thoughts, um, Anne and then Glenn? 
I think there's a lot of work to do in illuminating that white space. And the more um, we talk or business leaders talk and, and look to see if they have a, a white space problem, I think they'll they'll realize that there's still more they can do and improve their bottom line, improve their efficiencies and effectiveness and customer delivery if they just look. Just look. Glenn. Uh, the kind of classical organization, the way I call it, the classical organization we've been talking about, um, really is all about operational excellence and control. That's that's where that kind of an organization uh, is bent to. But there are alternatives. There are different alternative organizational structures, but it depends entirely on what the organization is trying to do. Uh, for what purpose does it exist? And I think if we think about uh, stepping back away from the, uh, the various tribes and go back to what's the purpose of the organization and what are we trying to do, that will take a different direction in terms of what kind of alternative structures work really well uh, that you can experiment with. Well, it sounds like we got a, Sounds like we have a topic for next time. There you go. So let's uh, let's pick it up uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, and so I'd like to thank my colleagues Anne and Glenn for being on the podcast. Thank Bryn Griffiths for uh, making sure we sound better than we look. And until next time, consider your quest.